Flip your bulletins back over to week number one of a one-week series. You're going to hear that every week, what series we're in. Next week, we're going to start a new series called The Unsafe Church. And the little, little tag is, 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 this might hurt a little bit. And, and basically what it's going to be is it's going to be a, a calling out of where you're comfortable to step into what's uncomfortable. So there, there's always more for each person in this room. God, if God doesn't have more for you, he stops your heart and takes you home. So you know, if your heart's still beating, that he has more for you. But the truth is, is it's up to you if you're going to decide to grab that more. And so it's going to be an encouragement. Here's what it looks like to kind of step into the more. As a church, we're going to live an unsafe, have an unsafe year, have an unsafe existence. And so make sure you're here. It's going to be, it's going to be a good time for four weeks. And, but today, I want to talk to you uh, with a simple message that I think is perfect for New Year's. The title is, Leave a Legacy. I don't know about you, but there are certain times of the year that I think about certain things. I tend to think about life as a whole every, every year as it, as it ends and the new year starts. And this is kind of the thoughts that go on in my head and even thoughts that have, have conversation I've had. And maybe you've had it. Man, 2014 went too fast. Anybody else there? Like there was so much things I wanted to do. There was so many plans I had. And 2014 is over. I had this conversation with my, with my wife this week, and maybe you don't even remember because you're, you're not that old, but 15 years ago, this year was Y2K. You remember that? I'm 35. I was 20 years old. I remember my prayer in my room. I hadn't yet met my, my wife, and everybody was saying the world was going to end, and everybody had water sto- you know, stocked up, and, and everything was kind of, kind of happening. And, and so my prayer was, because I was a, a Christian kid, and I was trying to, to remain pure to marriage, and, but I hadn't yet met my spouse, and I wanted to have sex because, because sex is biblical, but I hadn't yet done it yet. And so so my prayer was, and if you've grown up in church at youth group, you had the same prayer, because you're, at some point your, your youth pastor talked about the rapture, or you watched Left Behind, not, not the new one with Nicolas Cage, but the old one with Kurt Cameron, you know what I'm saying, and you read less of the books, and your, your prayer is, God, just give me one more year, and God, just give me one more year, and the cool thing was, the very next year, the very next month, I met my wife, Leah, uh, I had actually met her the semester before, but she said no to me twice, uh, and so I re-met her, and she realized how much of a mistake it was to say no to me. <laughs> And so she said yes, and the rest is history. We got married three years later, and, and, and I have three kids, so obviously God answered my prayer. I'm not going to die a virgin. And so anyway, um, so that, I remember that. And every year I'm like, I was like, 15 years have passed. Like 15, like where has time gone? And so I'll think like stuff like this, like, man, I got to do a better job with, with the time God's given me. I, I got to do more. Like Christmas passed, and I'm like, man, Christmas went really fast. Like it, I remember putting my tree up. I was taking it down yesterday with my wife. I was getting a little bit emotional about taking my tree down. I was taking our little, our little uh, stockings off the, off the mantle, and they have a little C and, and, and L and an H. And I was thinking, Harris is never going to only be one again. And thank God, and Carter and Lincoln are five and seven. And I'm going, where is time going? And I typically at that time, I go back to verses in the Bible that kind of reflect this this understanding. Like, there's a verse in the Old Testament in Psalms 39. The man writes, he says, show me, O Lord, my life's end. Doesn't, isn't that morbid? Like, God, if you could tell me when I'm going to die, that would be cool. That would really be powerful and profound in our own lives. God, if we knew exactly how long we had to live, we would do so much more time with the time that you've given, so much more with the time that you've, you've given us. He goes on to say, let me know how fleeting that my life is. You have made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a but a breath. You know something is mentioned numerous times in the Bible that it's probably an important theological issue. 
So this is mentioned, this kind of understanding of time, of how fast that is going, and how you can't get it back, so stop wasting it. And just so you know how important it is, the, the, the brother of Jesus, James, the pastor of the church in, in Jerusalem, he pastored a church of what some theologians believe was 100,000 people. So this dude, he had a big job, and, and I think he had a lot of, of life figured out maybe. And, and, and he writes this in his book, James chapter 4, which if you're a new Christian and you would say to me, what's a great practical book to read? I always point people to James. It's a doing book, not just a, a hearing book. And so this is what he says in James 4. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. I think if he would write this at the beginning of a new year, he would say, now listen to you Christians who have all these resolutions about this upcoming year, who take all these pictures of yourself online, maybe trying to change your body image or or whatever you're doing. Let's be careful with doing that. He says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a, you're a mist that appears for a little while then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is written, you boast and you brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. That's why resolutions are so, are so cool for us because it's like, well, I know what I need to do, but it's, I got a whole year to do it, so I'll make it right now, but maybe I'll do it next year or maybe... Maybe I'll stop. Some of you are like, I'm gonna, my resolution is to be at church every week. Congratulations, you made it for the first, the 52. He says, you should look at your life in a different way. I had an opportunity this week, the privilege, I would say, to go to a funeral for my, my pappy this past, this past Sunday. I know some of you would say, why do you call a funeral an opportunity or a privilege? And, and as I talk about him, you're going to understand why. And as I was at that funeral, I started thinking about another old man. He's 77. My pappy was 81. And I started thinking about this older gentleman's life. I grew up with this older man. He was on commercials for for pudding. You remember those little pudding pops? I loved those when I was a kid. He was on one of my favorite TV shows. He was a doctor living in a, a city. He had a very stable family. He was funny. He was always a voice of reason when it seemed like people were being unreasonable. And he seemed like he had it all together, and he was going towards the end of his life and finishing strong. And over the last year, it seems like it's falling apart for him. It seems like what he portrayed himself to be and and maybe who he really was were very different. And he's going to pass away at some point coming up, and and his wife's not going to stand up in front of everybody and probably say, I had a husband that was faithfully committed to me. His kids aren't going to stand up and say, this guy left me a great legacy. In fact, a lot of people probably aren't going to say much good about him. seems like nobody's talking good about him. And I'm not sure if this man's guilty or, or not. I do think where there's a smoke, there's typically a fire. And I do believe a lot of what was going to be said about him is not going to be said. And then you flash forward to last Sunday where my 81-year-old pappy was, was put in a little urn, if that's what you call it. And his ashes were sitting there. My Grammy, who's been married to him for 63 years, was sitting there. And seven of his eight children, the other one passed away from a brain tumor 20 years ago, actually. Seven of the eight were there with their, their, their spouses and their grandkids. And they all talked about Pappy. Pappy stayed faithful to his wife for 63 years. Pappy made eight babies with his wife. Pappy was a stud muffin. <laughs> Pappy was a good dad. Pappy was a good grandpa. And I started thinking about that. 
how one person's life was celebrated in public and now it's kind of diminishing in public. And everything that we would have celebrated, we're now kind of casting out. And I started thinking about what we were celebrating about my pappy. We weren't celebrating he was on any pudding commercials. We weren't celebrating that he had his own sitcom. In fact, they put a slideshow of his pictures up and I was watching them and I started thinking to myself, how profound that the end of his life and how different those pictures were from what most of us consider living today. If we were to take your Instagram and your Facebook and your Twitter and any other post and make them a slideshow at the end of your life, for most of us, the message would be significance is lived through who we date, what our body looks like, what we're wearing, what we bought, what we accomplished. And at the end of his life, there was a slideshow and it was almost five minutes long. And you know what it was? Pictures of him and his family over and over over again. As a young man with his wife to an old man holding the newest addition to the family, his great, great, great grandkid. I thought to myself, how different of a life. And then I got up to talk. They asked me to talk and I didn't know I was going to talk until I got there. It's probably better. And as I got up to talk, my first thought was, just don't cry. And the truth was, I wasn't crying because I was super, super sad because I was actually, I was actually excited for my pappy. I thought to myself, he's with his one son who died 20 years ago. I'm not sure what they're doing in heaven, but what a meeting that must have been. All those other kids are standing up there. They all love Jesus. All these people one day are going to meet him. He's just preparing the place, getting it ready. I'm not sure what he's doing. And I started thinking to myself about his life and about his accomplishments and how, how privileged it was. And I got up to talk and I started crying. And, and at first I think people thought I was sad. And as I got my tears back, because my wife was crying, so then I was crying because she was crying. And then other family member. And I just stopped and I just said, I'm not crying because I'm sad. I'm, I'm crying because I'm so grateful to him. I'm crying because he read the Bible and he knew the truth. There's a verse in the Bible that says, don't live for what is temporary and seen. Live for what is unseen and forever. In other words, live so that your life will leave something of importance here. And what's of importance is not any of your personal accomplishments and any of the things that you own, but in the people that you invested into. The word legacy actually at its core means a gift. A gift that somebody leaves you. So I, as I sat there in the funeral, I thought to myself, if I could just scratch the surface of this man's life, God, I'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm not having eight kids, God. I'm staying with three. (laughs) But if my kids could say the same thing about my life. If my kids could say, Pappy, they call me that. He, he, at his last breath, he was worshiping Jesus. He was telling Jesus, I'm ready to come home and see you. I mean, what better way to end your life with no regrets, with nothing left unsaid? I thought to myself, if I could convince you and I could live and get that message inside of me that we're leaving a legacy, oh, how much different our life would look. Instead of making resolutions, we would just look at the next year as God wanted to do even more than, than the last year. We would stop making shoddy and empty promises to ourselves that only last for a couple weeks. But we would accomplish so much more. So I want to talk to you about leaving a godly legacy today because you all are. There's three things that I think that you will do if you're going to leave a godly legacy. If you're going to live for what is unseen and eternal and not what is, is temporary and seen. Number one is this, is you need to start this year saying the words God wants you to say. Say the words God wants you to say. I I, I thought it was so neat at my my pappy's funeral. 
is my dad got up there and he, he did, he's a pastor. He, he's responsible for, for starting this church and, and, and Pappy is responsible for leading his son to the Lord. And so everything's just connected. There's thousands of people whose lives are going to be changed because of Pappy's legacy. And they started talking about Pappy and my dad said one thing about Pappy. He said, he said, I never left him without him telling me he loved me. Like every time, and I know it to be true because as my pappy got older, as you, if, you have a, if you have a grandparent, one thing starts to happen is they just start to sleep all the time. If you go into a nursing home and see your grandparent, there's literally, my, my grandma, she's 96 or 106. I'm not sure what she is. She's, she's a freak of nature. She just keeps living. <laughs> and she'll go in and I'll go in to visit her and it'll just be a line of people sleeping. Like they just, they sleep, they wake up, they sleep. She's convinced that she doesn't sleep even though I've caught her sleeping every time I went in there. Nobody wants to talk. And I say, Grandma, because you're sleeping. Every time my pappy would come, he would sleep. He would walk into my house and he would eat and then he would go into the, into the, the couch. And maybe you have a parent like this because dads start to do this too, all right? And they, they just kind of, <laughs> and their chin just kind of opens up and you're like, I'm throwing stuff in. There was, there was multiple times I looked over my pappy as he got older and, and you can just see somebody's kind of, their essence of who they are just start to cave in as they get older and they kind of, they kind of fade away a little bit. And I would think to myself, is pappy alive right now? And I'll bump him and he'd wake up and look around and just go back to sleep. And literally, the last probably couple years that I saw him, that's all he did. He came in. But every time that, that he left, he would wake up and he would leave at some point to go back to bed. And as he was leaving, he would go around and he would hug every person. And he would always say, I love you. He hadn't talked to me all night. But what I want to leave you with is the same thing I've been leaving you with since you've known me. I love you. I used to have this, this pastor that worked, for me at my first, that worked with me at my first church. His name was Pastor Bob. He was an older pastor. He used to pastor a church and preach every Sunday. But as you get older, uh, you, you, you tend to, to kind of go into a different role. And he went into the pastoral care role. What that means is he visited people in the hospitals. He visited shut-ins. A couple times I went with him to visit a shut-in. It's one of the saddest things in the world. It would be an older lady whose husband had passed away, maybe prematurely, didn't leave her any life insurance. Guys, if you have a wife, get some life insurance. No life insurance. And she would be there uh, eating, dog, eating dog or cat food because that's all the money she had. We would take her a meal. We would pray with her. We would encourage her. She'd be stacked up around a bunch of stuff, kind of hoarding life in and sad and just waiting to die. And his job was to go encourage them. He would go to hospitals and pray with people. And every once in a while, he, he would be responsible for going to a, a, person's, a person's home in our, in our church that was on hospice. And he would have the, the privilege, in many cases, because this person was a believer. But in some cases, the person wasn't a believer. It was just a friend of somebody in our church. And he would have the, the hardship of watching this person pass from this life to the next. One time I asked him, I said, I said Bob, what is it like when somebody's dying? What does it look like? Well, what, what, is, what, what happens? And he said, he kind of explained what it was like. He said, but the one thing that always has haunted me is how many times that on somebody's deathbed, as they're, they're get, before they're like not able to talk, that they'll say stuff like this, like, before I die, here's what I want you to go tell my family for me. And when he told me that, I thought this. I thought, why didn't they tell them themselves? I don't want to die like that. I don't want to die with things that I should have said that, that were in my heart and then get to the end of my life and go, make sure you tell my family that I love them. Make sure you tell my coworkers that I appreciate them. Make sure you tell my, my wife. Some of you guys are going, my wife knows 
that I love her. She knows it. We've been, we've been married for 17 years or 18 years or 40 years. They know that I love her. And I'm going to tell you, your wife wants to hear you say, I love you. In my life, I want to, I want to remember, if I think something nice, I just want to say it. Like right away, if I look at my wife and, and I know she's done my wash and, and she's, she's, she's done my dirty, my dirty drawers and folded them and she's cooked me a meal and she's taken care of my three crazy boys all day, I don't want to come home and go, I know she knows I love her and I'm appreciative of her. I want to think it. I love you so much. I'm so thankful that you did my wash for me today because if you didn't do it, I, I wouldn't be wearing any underwear right now. And I'm so thankful uh, that, that you take care of our kids because you know I can't do that. And, and I'm so thankful that you cook because you know I can only cook ramen noodles. And you're, I'm so thankful that you clean. I'm so thankful that you stuck with me. I'm so thankful that you married me and, and drove with me 24 hours to a new place and started this church with me and you trusted me. And I'm so thankful for you. I want to tell my boys all the time. I don't want them to ever question if I love them. A man talked to a counselor one time, and he asked the counselor, he said, what's the number one thing people deal with, issue, burden that people deal with uh, when they're in counseling sessions? And so she said, the number one thing that people deal with is the misunderstanding or, or not being sure of their, their parents, especially their father's acceptance and if they're proud of them. She said, I've asked many people, is your dad proud of you? And she said, up to 95% of people, crazy high number, will say, I'm not sure or no. Like, I don't want to be that. My dad said that my pappy has told him many times, I'm proud of you. My dad at the funeral, he said, I have no regrets with, with Pappy because a few months ago I went and visited him and I told him, thanks pops for leading me to Jesus. Without you, I wouldn't be here. So when he died, I had nothing left unsaid to say to him. I have no regrets. I wonder what, I wonder what you're going to go to the grave missing the opportunity to say. Some of you will say, I have so much time. Really? You boast and brag about the wrong things. Your life is here for a moment, and then it disappears. So what I would encourage you, I would encourage you things. Number one, if you've lost a family member and you weren't able to tell them what you wanted to tell them, don't carry that around. You can't go back and fix a mistake. But you can go forward and learn from that mistake. So if you have a kid, if you have a grandparent, if you have a parent, if you have a coworker, if you have a best friend, if you have somebody, maybe it's somebody you need to forgive. Maybe there's been a wall built up between you and your spouse and you're separated right now or you're about to be separated and you've built up this wall and you've kind of just thrown grenades at each other and told each other how much of a loser they are. Somebody needs to reach the hand over the wall and pull it down and basically say, hey, I'm sorry, I forgive you. Maybe you have a child that you haven't talked to for some time. Maybe you have a parent you haven't said thank you to. Some of you have a son or, or a daughter as a, as, a, as a dad in this place at both of our campuses that you were taught, especially dads, because for some reason the older generation was not strong with, with, with affection in words, especially the men. And sometimes they'll say stuff like, well, that's just the way the old school did it. The old school is broken, just so you know. The old school is why the new school, sexuality is all messed up. So now we're having to fight to bring it back to the way it's supposed to be. See, what I would encourage you to do, if you're a parent, if you're a dad, and you didn't have a dad tell you, hey, I love you, and you use that as an excuse for why you don't tell your kids to say, I love you, stop being a coward, because your dad is not the ultimate role model in your life, Jesus is. 
Jesus would never leave your kids with the fear of if my daddy is proud of me or accepting of me. And there was nothing more profound in a child's life than for them to hear, I love you. Say the words God wants you to say. Number two is this, is, is I think this is so important, is do the things God wants you to do. Do the things God wants you to do. James 1, he says this, he says, he says do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. In other words, and what I would say is America, the American church, the greatest failing of the American church is we know it here. We do nothing with our hands. We're really deep. People say, I want to go deeper. When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When's the last time you served? How much money did you set aside this week? Was it a tithe or wasn't it? You want to get deep, do all that stuff first. Be a doer, not just a a hearer, don't have it right here. Never let it come out here. See, I think why my pappy left such a great legacy is because he was somebody uh, that did what God wanted him to do. I told you a couple weeks ago, I had to make a, a confession I lied to you a little bit. Sometimes when you're a pastor, you don't have the, the complete details of the, of the story, you fabricate. And so, and I thought I had the details of the story when my pappy got saved. I told you a couple weeks ago, he got saved when my dad was five. Uh, after going back and talking to them and saying, yeah, I told the church you got, he got saved when you were five. And they told me that's not how it happened. And I said, well, you made me lie to my church. Uh, so I need to figure out the real detail and tell them. So I sat with my Grammy on, on New Year's Day and we sat and, and, and I talked to my Grammy. And if you ever have a chance to talk to your grandparent or somebody that's older, do it. Because you're going, first of all, you're going to laugh. Uh, second of all, you're going to find out how much of a real person that they were, how much pain they went through, and how, and how much they kind of endured to get you where you're at. And so I was talking to her, and I said, I said Grammy, my dad told me, or I thought he told me that, you, that Pappy got saved when you were five and all that stuff. So can you tell me exactly the story? Because I want to give the details to my church. And I, she said, oh, yeah, I'll tell you when he got saved. He said, it wasn't when your dad was five. It was before then. I said, well, how much before then? Because this is going to be ten, depend on the power of the story that I told she said, well, your pappy was a, a son of a preacher. And I was like, hey, here we go. There goes my story. He's been a Christian forever. <laughs> she said, but he wasn't following Jesus like so many of us do in the church. He wandered away from Christ. And he, she said, the fact, the day that I met him, he had gone on a date with, with my sister and came back. And I was sitting on the front porch and I saw him and I stole him. <laughs> and I said, Graham, you're a homewrecker. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> She said, so we got, ended up falling in love and getting married. She said, my dad actually disowned me because he was a Protestant by, by affiliation, not by belief. And I was a Catholic by affiliation and not by belief, sort of like many of you are. You kind of are a hero of the word, never did anything with it. And she said, so we got married and she said, we had all sorts of issues, just like happens in most marriages without Jesus. You don't know love until you know Jesus. It's possible to love the person the way you're supposed to love him until you're loved by Jesus the way he loves you. So she had all sorts of issues, so we decided to go to church, which is what a lot of people, maybe you're here today and you said, you know what, 2014 was horrible, I'm going to go to church this year and fix this. So they started going to church and they ended up at these revival services, and she said at one of these revival services, it was a couple years into our marriage, she wasn't quite sure when, we had a, I think they had one or two kids by this point, because they were pregnant when they got married, I was like, all right, Grammy. <laughs> he ended up getting saved. What was so neat is he got saved, and she said the next day, uh, he gave up chewing tobacco. He gave up gambling, and he used to smoke like six or seven or 18, she didn't remember, cigars a day. He gave all that up. And I'm not sure how, how religious that is or if that's 
what you're supposed to do. But what I know is true of most people is most people, they say they know Jesus, yet their actions don't match up. There's nothing worse than that. There's nothing worse than a church person whose life is the same as an unchurched person. That's a waste of time. She said his life completely changed at that moment. What I know happened to my pappy at that moment is something I want to pass on to my kids. Is I want to live my life, if I'm going to do what God tells me to do, I want to live by conviction, not preference. Way too many people in this church live by preference. Preference is this, is I know God says not to have sex before I get married, and I'd prefer not to, but, there's always a comma with a but, but uh, my person I'm dating, they don't understand it, and because I'd rather not be single in the temporary uh, and give up what is unseen, which is eternal, I'm going to sleep with them even though my preference is not to. That's a preference. Preference is, this year I'm going to be generous because God is so generous to me. I have $250 to be generous with. I set it aside in my budget. I'm driving past the car lot. Whoa, they have a lease for a brand new car for $247.99 plus tax. Preference was to be generous until I saw this car. Now I can't be generous. Preference is, I'm going to come to church in 2015. But January 11th, there's a big, big game on. I got to go home and get ready for it. Which, by the way, I don't know who you're watching. <laughs> Kids got dance. I got some kind of meat to go to. I'm tired. I have sniffles. It's raining. Um, don't feel like it today. You just don't go. You know what I loved about my, listen to my pappy, my grandma said, pappy never miss church. Ever. Never, ever, ever miss church. Like he, he was there. The dude had two knee replacements. He had diabetes. He had restless leg syndrome. I'm not even sure what that is, but I know he couldn't sleep at night. He had all sorts of stuff going wrong. He had a mini stroke, everything wrong with him. And if you ask people at Morningstar, they'll say he sat right back there every week. Every week we would hear him singing in his loud bravado. Loudest singer you've ever heard. You know how old pe- older people sing? Oh, right? Like <laughs> everything, no matter what you sing, it could be amazing grace. It could be the songs we're singing. Oh, right? It just. It was always at church. Pappy lived by convictions. Convictions are what you believe in here coming out and how you act out here. And here's the thing when you live by convictions, it, 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 it helps in, in the personal choices that you make. I want you to remember this. A moment on the lips equals a lifetime on the hips. Now, it, what it means is you know what it means. Like if what you eat is going to determine your body structure. But the truth is it's much deeper than that. When you live by preference, you're going to make decisions that are going to affect you forever. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you and have grace for you. But there's people right now that you're living with bad decisions that you've made because of the time in your life you live by preference and not conviction. When you live by conviction, it changes the way you make every decision. Should I go to church today? Yes. Why? Because my conviction says that this is the number one relationship in my life and I need to be there serving. And if I'm not serving, I need to be there attending and listening to God's word and being in his presence every week. That's a conviction. I'm going to tithe and give generous this year. Why? Because my conviction is if I seek first God's kingdom, everything else will work out. 
I'm living for what is, is unseen and eternal, not, as what's, not, a what, not in what is temporary and right now. That's a conviction. A conviction also will enable you to live for the right people. See, a lot of you, the reason that you can't live by conviction, live by preference, is because you're not, you're not fully aware who you're supposed to please in your life. What's weird is, is somehow we come to the conclusion that it's more important to please the, the finite being in front of us that has no more answers to life figured out than we do than it is to please the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How we come up with that answer is very confusing to me. The problem is, is because you look at what is seen and you miss what is unseen. Do what God wants you to do. And the last one is, is live the way God wants you to live. Live the way God wants you to live. I love 2 Timothy 4. It says, for I've already been poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I think Pappy would have wrote that. The time has come for me to leave this earth. He was ready to go. And then it says this in verse number seven. And I think this is what my pappy would say. And I think this is what I want to say at the end of my life. In fact, I know this is what I want to pass on to my kids. He says this, Paul does. He says, at the end of his life, he says, I have fought the good fight. In other words, many people are cowards. That's really the reason you don't live for God. You're a coward. Just frankly, quite honestly, you think he's going to ask for too much. So you rather live for what is temporary and seen because you're scared. But the, the, the thing is, the more you know God, the more you trust him. The more you trust him, the more you'll follow him. The more you follow him, the more your actions will change. It's really because you don't trust God, which is what makes you a coward. He says, I have fought the good fight. And then watch this. I have finished my race. And here's how I know I finished my race. I kept the faith. I kept the faith all the way to the end. And I know I'm going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Live the life God wants you to live. There's going to be two meetings, different meetings, that could happen about your life at the end of your life. You won't be here anymore. Your body will be right there. If you choose to get cremated, your your ashes will be right there. There's going to be a meeting about you, a business meeting. You're going to be gone. I'm not sure where you're going to be. I'm not sure if you're going to be in heaven with Jesus. Or the Bible says you won't have a relationship with Jesus. And the Bible says you'll be in hell. That's just how clear it is. Just so you know, when we talk about hell, I never talk gladly about it. That's why we exist for those not yet here. If there's ever a confusion in your heart and you don't understand why we are so consumed with unchurched people because of hell. Maybe if you would understand hell, you would be consumed too. There's going to be a meeting. And for some people... The business meeting is going to be a good one. I'm not sure if you're going to be able to hear them or not, but I can tell you the business that was happening at the front of Morningstar Fellowship as my pappy's urn was sitting there with his ashes and, and my Grammy was sitting in her, her chair as, a, as an, uh, uh, a widow and all of the kids were there and all the grandkids that I hadn't seen. It was a good business meeting. There was thankfulness in the air. There was gifts being given from the legacy of pappy and the business meeting was good. There was no stories being made up. When I stood up and talked, I wasn't trying to come up with something to say. All I had to do was reflect on the life of Pappy. And tears of thankfulness, they rained down. 
Similar, I don't know if you ever heard of Joel Olstein. You probably have. He's the biggest preacher in America. I don't know if you like him or not. I don't really care. I don't think he does either. One day they asked him about his dad. His dad was a pastor of that church before he took it over. They said, tell me about your dad. And the story goes that for about 10 minutes, he just cried. He just cried. And he cried, and he cried, and he cried. And the reporter said, at some point, I got kind of weirded out. I'm like, what's wrong with this guy? And then in the midst of his crying, I thought to myself, I hope my family feels that way about me when I'm not here. That's a legacy. For those of you, the business meeting is going to be bad. You're going to have lived by preference. You're going to have a made a, a decision that with your lips that went to your hips. You're going to have chosen the temporary instead of the unseen and eternal. You're going to have walked out on a marriage or walked away from your kids. You're going to not, have not said what you should have said and done what you should have done and lived the life God had for you to live. And you're going to be there. All of us will. That I know. You might not agree with me, but someday you're going to die. That's coming. And you're going to be there. And the business meeting is going to be about made-up stories of people trying to comfort themselves with the hurt that you actually left them. They're going to have to work through bitterness and forgiveness of what could have been and what never was. Some of you, they're going to wonder how you really felt. Because you're going to convince yourself that I can go to the grave without saying these words or I have more time. I'm not sure what it's going to look like. But I know I don't want to be part of a business meeting like that. I don't want to look down and hear my kids saying, well, my dad was a pastor. He was a mean husband. He preached on Sunday and he, he told touching stories and, and he built a church, but we're not really sure how he felt about us. My dad is as a result of the issues that I have. I don't want that. With everything inside of me, I want my kids to cry the same way. Not because of how great I was, but because of how great Jesus was in my life. Leave a legacy. Don't make a New Year's resolution. You don't need another one. You're not going to do it anyways. Don't promise yourself stuff for yourself. Why don't you make a promise to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Why don't you ask him to open up your eyes like the psalmist did? To show you how, how instant and quick your life was. Why don't you stop boasting about tomorrow and start boasting about him? Would you stand with me all over this house? At a Limerick campus, would you stand? Would you just close your eyes for a minute with me? This is a really important part of our service, our experience. I think some of you limped into this year. You limped in with, with shame and with pain and with regret. You haven't been the person that you planned on being. You've fallen short. You live by preference and not conviction. You've made mistakes. You have doubts. You have fears. Some of you just want this year to be better. Here's what I know. If you keep going down the path you're going down without Jesus, all the hope and all the promises you make to yourself, they're going to fail. They just are. The healing that you want, the hope that you want, it's not found in you. It's not found in promises to yourself. It's not found in being better, getting better, acting better. It's found in Jesus. The only reason I stand up here week after week after week 
is because of Jesus. If he didn't do what he did in my life at the age of 18 on the steps of the Hershey Arena at youth convention, if he didn't save me and call me and give me purpose and meaning, I wouldn't be up here. I don't feel like it every week. I get tired just like you. I get tired of trying to make things happen without God. I know how good he is and how I just need to step out of the way and let him do only what he could do. He's been doing it for six years at this church. We talk about Jesus. We talk about how good he is. We talk about purpose and plan that he has for your life. We talk about a joy and a grace that he can bring to your life. And he does the rest. When you understand who he is and you realize who you are, you come away saying, I need a savior. Jesus died, the story of the Bible, the gospel, the good news. Jesus died for your sins. That's the bad news. You're full of sin. You've been sinned against and you've made many sins, more than you can count. And you could try to make restitution, try to become a better person. But the truth is you're just going to keep on sinning. What you need to change is not inside of you. It's not found in you. The peace you're looking for is nowhere on this earth. The peace is found in Christ. Christ alone. And he died for your sins on a cross 2,000 years ago. The death he died should have been the way your life ended. What I mean by that is, is he, he hung on a cross naked and full of shame. And the sins of the world were cast on him for you and for me. The Bible says his father turned from him, which was what was going to happen to you and to me. Because God can't be near sin. And he carried the weight of the sin of this world on his body. He hung on a cross for your sins. And the way his life ended should have been the way your life ended. Alone, abandoned, and in hell. And the Bible says he was taken off that cross. He was dead. He was gone. Everybody was mourning. He was placed in a tomb. They protected it. They rolled a stone in front of it. They put Roman guards to keep people away. They had heard the stories, the rumors that he was going to raise from the dead. So they sealed it up. And his disciples came. They came to anoint his body. And when they got to the tomb, it was empty. The tomb was, stone was rolled away. The Roman guards had run for their life and the angel was there and he said, fear not. Fear not. Jesus did what he said he was going to do. And now it's through his death, burial, and resurrection that what was true of you doesn't have to be true of you. That the pain you had for your entire life up to this point, it can cease to exist through Jesus. Jesus has so much more for you. So much more for you. If the life you're living... It's not as a result of a God-sized miracle. You've settled for something that's not God's best. He has so much more for you. If your heart is still beating, he has a significant plan for you. When it stops beating, his plan is to bring you to eternity with him. That's hope, church. If you say, you know what, I don't have hope. I don't have peace. I don't have grace. I don't know Jesus. The Bible says the way you have a relationship with Jesus is you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that he is Lord. And the Bible says you will be saved. God has given you a gift and you are reaching out and taking it. Some of you have heard this a million times, but you've continued like a stubborn child to try to do it your own. And for once in your life, you're going, you know what? I'm no longer doing this. I'm no longer walking away from God. I'm no longer looking without finding, searching, and being hopeless. I'm going to put my full hope in Christ. With Pastor Bob standing at a Limerick camp, is that that's you. The best gift you can give to yourself right now is to reach out and grab the gift of salvation found in no other name but Jesus. He's the way. 
He's the truth and the life. He's the only reason we do church in this place. It's Jesus. He saved me. And he wants to do the same for you right now. He's knocking. That's what the Bible says. You feel it in your chest. Right now, if that's you, Jesus is calling you home. I need a relationship with Jesus right now. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going all in. I'm going to live an unsafe life. I'm going to lose myself so that I can find my identity in him. I'm going to let go of everything else, my past, my pain, and I'm going to reach for Jesus. Right now, if that's you, put your hand up real high, just saying, I'm reaching for Jesus. I see you over here. I see you back here. That's you. I see you back here on my right. That's, 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 that's awesome. Over here on this side, all over the side of Limerick campus, that's you. Just put your hand up really high. This is why we do what we do. 2015 is going to be the best year yet in our church. More people than ever are going to respond to Jesus. He loves you. He has a plan and purpose for you. Anybody else in this place, you're saying, I'm not going to miss this moment right now. 2015 is going to be the best year of my life because I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. He has a plan and a purpose for me. It begins right now. Is anybody else in this place at a Limerick campus to shoot your hand up high and say, you know what? I need to have a relationship with Jesus. I see you right here. I see you. I'm going to give you a couple more seconds. We're just going to linger right here. Church, would you just pray? There's a couple more people that are just thinking about it right now. They're just thinking about it. They're wondering if God loves them. Would you just pray that the love of God would just be more real in this place? They would feel it. Is anybody else in this house at a Limerick campus? We're just lingering. We're waiting. God's waiting on you. He's knocking at your heart. Would you come home to him today? Jesus is going to be the Lord of my life. If you're at home watching this, maybe right now you just bend, bend your knees down to Jesus and you just pray, Jesus, I need you in my life right now. I'm broken and I'm lost. Is there anybody else right here with me? And say, you know what? I need a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray, church. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for this day. I thank you for those all over this room that responded to your gospel. I thank you for those at the Limerick campus that I don't know them by name. Maybe I'm never even going to meet them. But you brought them right to that place in this moment, in this new year, to accomplish so much great things in their life for your kingdom, Lord. Lord, I thank you for those that are watching online, maybe right now live, or maybe they're catching up later on during the week, that your presence was unmistakably there with them, that your word was spoken, and that when we lifted you up, that you drawed them to yourself, Lord. And Lord, they're praying this prayer, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for my sins in, in a tomb, on a cross. You were placed in a tomb on the third day. You rose from the dead, and it's through your death, burial, and resurrection that my sins are forgiven, that my, my eternity is secured, that I've been redeemed. I've been bought back at a high price, and that high price was you, Jesus. You stepped from eternity into this mess of my life, and you lived the life and died the death that I, that I should have died, and now I can live the life that I could have never lived, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. I thank you there's hope in this place. Lord, that we live for what is unseen. Lord, that as long as our, our hearts are beating as, as a church... That your purpose for us is to reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And then we know when our heart stops beating. Father, when my pappy's heart, heart stopped beating, our loved ones, when their heart stopped beating, the very next breath was with you in heaven. That's what Paul said. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. There's hope in that statement. Hope for a future and passion to live by, Lord. Our time is fleeting. Every moment you give us is a gift, Lord. And this is what we pray over this church. As we close this week out, this is the beginning of the best year that our church has ever experienced. The, the, more, the most people that have ever walked into this place uh, to receive the, the, the salvation of Jesus Christ 
is this year, Lord. There's going to be more marriages that are going to be restored. There's going to be more addictions that are going to be broken. There's going to be more religious spirits that are going to be loose, Father. Your presence is going to be unmistakable in these rooms, Lord. We thank you in advance. We pray a prophetic prayer over this year, Lord, that you want to do more, Lord, that you want to do so much more, immeasurably more than we could ever ask, dream, or imagine. So I thank you in advance for all that you're going to accomplish. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Come on, let's clap together.